Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex podcast and I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me today. It's the 6th of December. Can't believe we're already this close to the end of the year, this close to Christmas and all that. Hope you guys are well and have had a good week um, in the aftermath of the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, the last race of the F1 season. Um, and felt weird that we had an F1 race in December, you know, like usually it's done and dusted um, end of November or the final, I know it was a final weekend of November and the 1st of December on Sunday when they had the race, but you know, December, you know, it's kind of stretching it and it'll be interesting when we do get a bigger calendar, you know, with Liberty Media talking about wanting to go up to 25 races possibly in the future. So next year we've got 22 um, which is going to be a stretch, I know, for some, but, um, you know, the way the calendar is structured is, um, it is making the 22 races work and also limited testing and all that sort of stuff as well, too. I mean, pre-season, only six days in total for testing, so imagine if it was, like, 2021 and they had the new regulations and such limited testing days, it would be... Not very well received, I would think, but um, anyway, that's that's all about the future. Let's talk about what's happening right now and also what happened at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix first up, and uh, I will do a bit of a MotoGP season review later as well in this uh, week's podcast, so stay tuned for that. But for Abu Dhabi, I guess, you know, probably not the most entertaining of races. It was, um, you know, some have described it as snooze fest and that sort of stuck with me the whole week when looking back at this race but it doesn't really reflect I guess some of the good races that we've had this year but when looking back at overall um, how this decade has gone and believe it or not this was the last race of this decade so from 2010 to Abu Dhabi 2019 you know it kind of sums up you know how we've if basically had two different phases of dominance, you know, with Red Bull from 2010 to 2013, you know, end of 2013, and then 2014 till now, it's been Mercedes who have been dominant, and it was Lewis Hamilton who capped off the season, 16 second victory from pole position, it was his 250th Grand Prix 2, one-stop strategy, en route to win number 84 in his career, so can you believe that, that he's only seven wins off equaling Michael Schumacher's once thought untouchable record of 91 wins in an F1 career and of course his 11th win of the season too so it's been a great year for Hamilton great year for Mercedes um, and it just shows how his streets ahead of the competition you know Max Verstappen he's been pretty good too this year and only coming in 16 seconds behind in the runner-up position um, looked pretty shaky for him at the start he got passed by Charles Leclerc, but the Ferrari in the end had to two-stop, thought that they could solidify their positions that way, and in the end Leclerc settled for third on the podium, Um, but a bit of a cloud over them throughout the whole race. Pre-race, there was uh, this directive issued by the FIA saying that there was going to be an investigation for, um, I'm not going to say it like Jeff Tuvey either, there's got to be an investigation well, there was an investigation, and um, seemingly Ferrari had overfueled Leclerc's car heading into the race, and as a result, you know, they were going to investigate this after the race, which threw a lot of people off, saying, well, you know, if they're running an illegal car and they know it, why don't they do something about it straight away, rather than letting them run the race and then perhaps disqualify them, which should have been the action, but no, that didn't happen, so 
P3 for Leclerc stood. Instead, there was an $80,000 in Australian dollars fine given to Ferrari. So, you know, they've kind of, last couple of races, they've they've really come into the spotlight for some uh, stuff to do with their fuel. You know, in Austin, of course, there was that technical directive issued by the FIA in regards to this fuel sen- the fuel sensors and everything, and that Ferrari might be tricking it to get a bit of extra power, burn off a little extra oil or something when the sensor isn't doing its read, and as a result, get an extra boost of power, especially in qualifying. That's what, you know, a lot of people theorized was why that why they were getting that advantage in qualifying all season or for the majority of the season where when you look at Leclerc taking seven pole positions um, this year most of any drivers out there so and then of course in the race having no race pace either so that was brought into question again but in the end you know the penalty was just the fine monetary fine and uh, I guess like you couldn't really put more salt into the wound that has been 2019 for Ferrari anyway so you know let him take the P3 and uh, lick those wounds I guess heading into the next year. Um, Sebastian Vettel two stopped as well put him behind Valtteri Bottas. Uh, Valtteri had an exceptional race you could say kind of went a bit unnoticed a little bit by some because of how boring it was for most people but he started from 20th on the grid back of the grid because he had some grid penalties for a couple of engine changes over the weekend of course he was due for an engine change anyway coming into the weekend but then they had to change it a second time during the weekend so he ended up yeah back of the grid there was no further pain for him there but he was able to race through and also no DRS in the first phase of the race either which was made things a bit interesting because there was some kind of uh, malfunction or technical gremlin across the entire DRS system that works for all the cars so the first phase of the race there wasn't any DRS and then you still saw Bottas pretty much side through the field and get up into the top 10 which was good to see and then in the end you know Valtteri came home finished ahead of Sebastian Vettel who made the two stop in fourth so great stuff from Bottas and imagine if Leclerc had got the penalty um, or disqualified from the race because of his issue we would have had Bottas on the podium so it would have been a sensational drive from the back of the grid to third but in the end fourth is still pretty good too so and we had Vettel later in the race having a bit of a scrap with Alex Albon too so Vettel stayed fifth Albon sixth in the end so you know great start to Albon's Red Bull career and then you know what could have been of course in Brazil if Lewis Hamilton hadn't hit him could have had a podium, but he's ended the championship in a rather handy position, you know, the switch to Red Bull had boosted him a little bit, and in the end, you know, only three points behind uh, Pierre Gasly, who he replaced later in the season, so not a bad haul for him there in eighth place, and then of course, uh, Pierre Gasly ahead of him by one point, which means that sixth in the championship went to Carlos Sainz, which I'll get to in a moment, because Gasly, he was out of that battle pretty early in the race on the first lap actually I should say after making contact with Lance Stroll he was kind of sandwiched between the two racing point cars and Stroll came off worse unfortunately for him he ended up having to retire and then Gasly pretty much was consigned to the back of the grid for the whole race and ended up a couple of laps down so that was his chances of finishing sixth hour um, uh, <laughs> his chances of finishing sixth pretty much over and science it wouldn't have been a guarantee either for science because 
um, McLaren were kind of shadowing Renault during the race and they all made early pit stops together and that kind of put them on the back foot when you had Sergio Perez coming through and also Bottas as well. So what they had to do later in the race was put Sainz onto a two-stopper, try and then pass the Renaults again for for 10th and 10th would have been all that he would have needed to, to beat Gasly because if they finished on equal points, which if Sainz wasn't in the points, he would they would have finished on equal points, it would have gone to count back a best result and because Gasly got second in Brazil, that would have been what got um, Gasly ahead of Science because Science's best result this season has been third. So that's how that would have worked. But in the end, Carlos got the one point that he needed to finish in sixth. So great result for those guys. I've said it all year about McLaren, how proud I'm sure all the fans are because it's been a long time. It's been a long time since they've been able to smile about these sort of results. You know, I know it's... <laughs> Not the wins and the championships that they want to see or the regular podiums, but to have a solid team now, a foundation there with the management structure and the engineering group and everything. And the two drivers like Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz, who I have to say have been probably my favourite lineup, um, not biased at all there, but my favourite lineup just to watch this year, you know, just the chemistry between those two guys, you know. Get going onto Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and watching those two, whatever they are, they're up to. Whether it's, you know, doing a bit of wacky bowling, dressed up as Mario, or you know, um, the farewell messages or the farewell communications between Lando Norris and his engineer Andrew Jarvis over the weekend. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's been quite refreshing, and I think for McLaren as well, it's just it's opened them up a little bit, you know being this young team, energetic team, and with two guys that, you know, they've got good respect for each other as well. People keep asking, will that change when they're in a more competitive position? But I think, you know, in time, Norris will also mature as a driver. You forget that he's still a teenager, basically. And then Sainz, you know, at such a young age, he is the team leader. You know, he's he's matured really quickly, and he's taken a lot of steps this year so we can only expect the best from them going into the future and also yeah you know I can't wait to see if we do get to see these two guys you know what the rivalry will be like if they are fighting for podiums and for wins and oh cross my fingers cross everything one day maybe a championship too that would be pretty good to see both these guys fighting up there for McLaren so can't speak highly enough of McLaren I'm sure I'll speak a lot about them in the end of season review which not going to do next week I'll do it in a couple of weeks take a little bit of a break and compile all my notes compose all the thoughts and everything and do a proper reflection so that that'll come in a couple of weeks so as I mentioned before, Perez capitalized on those early stops that the McLarens and the Renaults made and he ended up in the top 10. He passed Lando Norris on the final lap for P7, which, you know, they had their own little battle going for 10th in the Drivers' Championship. And then, of course, by passing Norris on the final lap, uh, Perez got the points he needed to relegate Norris outside the top 10. So... You know, great little battle there. I totally overlooked that during the race. And then what annoyed me was that <laughs> on the final lap, they didn't even, the director um, doing the TV stuff didn't even show it 
or the pass that Sainz made on the final lap to get past um, Hulkenberg, and then Hulkenberg ended up losing another place to his teammate Ricardo. So some ec- extra cool battles going on there that we didn't even get to see till after the race. Um, you know, Hamilton, we saw him lead pretty much the whole race. We didn't need to see him at the end there. But um, anyway, that's a story for another time. So great job there. And Norris again, you know, you can't speak highly enough of Norris. I think you got to say... Oh, it's hard because Albon's done really well too. I was going to say Norris is Rookie of the Year. Well, hey, there you go. For now, I'm saying Norris is my Rookie of the Year. He's been great. Albon's been great too. Russell's done a great job as well, even though he's been in the Williams and we haven't really seen his potential this year. You know, he's out-qualified Kubitzer every race. He's not out-raced Kubitzer every race. I mean, you know, Kubitzer was able to get the point in Germany, but, um, yeah, Russell's done, still done a fantastic job, so, and a bit of a damn squib of a farewell for Robert Kubitzer too, I should say, his final race for Williams, he ended up finishing behind Russell, and that was pretty much it, that's what the, what the story was for him this year, so, we'll talk more about Williams and Kubitzer and Russell in the review, but, with Renault, so no points for Nico Hulkenberg, sadly, in what was his F1 finale too, ended up losing 11th, uh, sorry, he ended up losing 11th as well on the final lap to his teammate Daniel Ricciardo, so Ricciardo too, I mean, what can you say about what his first year at Renault's been like, is there going to be progress for next year, or, you know, all this other talk about him, just, yeah, it's, the move was purely just money motivated, you know, we might not even see Ricardo with a top team again, if we might not see Renault, or that, which would mean that we might not see Renault get back up there again, so a lot to think about over the off-season and also in reflection over this year, so that's that, Kimi Raikkonen, of course, uh, didn't see much of him during the race, he came out and said, you know, or was wondering how Alfa Romeo lost two seconds in two weeks, you know, they finished fourth and fifth out Brazil under funny circumstances too, but they would have still been in the points, but this weekend in Abu Dhabi, they were just way off, so both of those guys finished well outside the points, well, Raikkonen in 13th, not too far away, Giovinazzi, his teammate, 16th, and then, of course, Haas as well, who just, they can finally close the book on 2019 and look forward to the next year, because, yeah, Grosjean 15th, Kevin Magnussen 14th, so it's been the story of this season, you could say, so yeah, we're not going to talk much more about them, and that pretty much wraps it up for Abu Dhabi, that that was it, you know, it wasn't the most exciting of races, there's a lot of talk about, you know, whether we should have more races without DRS, or they should just um, can DRS altogether for the future, but you know, food for thought, I guess, I mean... Abu Dhabi the last few years haven't really hasn't really dished out the most exciting races and I think if there's a championship on the line that's when you know we get some good races but at the moment you know with the championship finishing up as early as it does there's not really much to play for and yeah you know hopefully we get to see a change I mean I don't mind Abu Dhabi as a venue for the F1 finale I know a lot of people come out and say oh it should be somewhere more traditional and somewhere like Brazil Brazil's great you know, I liked what we saw at Brazil in the early 2010s or whatever, when it was 11, 2012 was the only memorable race because it was a championship finale, so as far as being in this decade is concerned, so 
you know, at least this year, at least this decade, we've had two championship finales in Abu Dhabi, which was, or three, I should say, because 2010, you include that one as well. So 2010, 2014, and 2016. So, yeah, you know, and extra bias because I've been there I think it's a great place you know it's got a great vibe about it end of end of school feelings so you know and they apparently put on a really cool after party if you're into that sort of thing so now let's get stuck into that part of the year where I do some reflection and no this is not looking deep inside oneself and pouring out my soul and my heart even though we all could do with that sort of thing once in a while you know it's important and anyone who needs to do that sort of thing or needs to speak to someone, I encourage you to do so because in the end, we're only human. We are allowed to have our ups and downs and and feel sad and all that sort of stuff and lament as well. So, yeah, and I'm actually being serious, you know, guys. It, it This is something I do take quite seriously, mental health and all that sort of stuff. So... You know, if anyone does need to talk to anyone, you guys do it, you know, whether it's a close friend, family, partner, whatever, you know, colleague, do it because, yeah, you know, it's better better getting it out of you than keeping it in you. Anyway, that, um, yeah, I am actually being serious about that. But yeah, you know, we're talking about MotoGP here and not what's going on inside our souls at the moment. And what a year it's been for MotoGP, you know, it's hard to, when you look at it on paper, you're like, oh yeah, Mark Marquez just dominated the season again, it's probably boring watching it, but you know what, it holds up a lot better than F1 I does, I think, does in a couple of areas, one, because every race keep has you at the edge of the seat, it's not like we're stuck in a holding pattern, it's, you know, uh, there's been a, quite a few races this year where, you know, it's gone down to the last lap, last corner as well, when, you know, either Marquez got mugged or he mugged someone else, so it's been quite entertaining in that fashion, but then when you look at the statistics... 12 wins, 18 podiums, 420 points, which is the most points scored by a single rider in the Premier class, you know, and this has been a championship that's been going on for, you know, five decades, basically, so 420 points, and then when you look at how many points Repsol Honda scored en route to their team's championship this year, they scored 458 points in total, so 428 points of that 458 came from Mark Marquez himself, who, you know, if he didn't win the race, he would finish second, it was either win or second, win or second, win or second, apart from uh, Austin where he had that fall basically so he's had an ultra consistent year it's hard to it's you know you run out of superlatives talking about this guy he's just an absolute freak of nature and is there any signs that he's going to slow down not yet he's only what 26 so you know when you look at other riders who you know their prime was you know in their late 20s early 30s they were pretty good Marquez still got a lot of time on his hands, and then of course, yeah, next year he's got his younger brother on the team with him. So how's that going to be for teammate dynamics? You know, if you were sick of one Marquez dominating the sport, you know, wait, now you got two on the same bike as well. So how's that going to fare? So on one side of the pond, you've got Honda Marquez who've had this 
extraordinary year. The other side, you got Ducati. And Ducati, you could say, were pretty much disappointing in the same vein as Ferrari this year in F1. So, you know, altogether they scored three wins, which, you know, compared to the previous seasons where they've been deeper in the championship, I guess, that's not that great. Two wins for Dovi, you know, he came out of the blocks in Qatar, first race one. We thought it's going to be another year of Davizioso versus Marquez. We didn't get that, unfortunately. It's good to see Danilo Petrucci win his first MotoGP race at home in Italy at Mugello as well. It took a bit of pressure off him to perform as well on the factory Ducati bike. But then after that, when he did get um, confirmation that he would be on the factory Ducati for 2020, he only finished 11 points ahead of Jack Miller, who was on the, um, on the satellite Ducati bike, but on the same machinery. So, you know, best season for Jack Miller in the championship, you know, and, you know, still knocking on the door of a factory ride, knocking on the door of a factory Ducati ride, you know, his highlight, I guess, you know, with the five podiums, he had the podium at Phillip Island home race here in Australia, so, you know, did Ducati make the wrong move by renewing Petrucci for next year? I reckon no, you know, fair to give Petrucci another year, but then, Depending if Miller has another great year like he did this year on the satellite Ducati, then, you know, when all the rider contracts are up for 2021, other ma- other factories are probably going to be looking at Miller, perhaps, you know, and, you know, it was a shame that Honda, I guess, you know, they picked Marquez, Alex Marquez, of course, for, for that seat, but, you know, you'll have seats at factory, um, you'll have seats at factory Yamaha, Suzuki, potentially, you know, Pending how KTM, Aprilia, they're developing as well. You know, there's, it's all going to be a free-for-all. So, you know, Ducati, I guess, they've kind of expressed that they're not happy or there's been a bit of mutual unhappiness between Davizioso and Ducati this year and it's been evident. So perhaps beyond next year, we might have a whole new lineup at Ducati. I don't see Petrucci staying for another season beyond 2020 unless his form improves Davizioso. You look at his age too. I think, well, is he mid-30s now? Hardly an age to retire, but, you know, he's had a fair hot crack the last couple of years at trying to beat Mark Marquez, but it hasn't come to fruition. And Ducati as well, they've had a crack, but they've just, there's been times where they've just thrown it away, which is basically their own undoing. So, what does the future look like for Factory Ducati? I'd say it'd be good to have someone like a Jack Miller on there. The other candidate, perhaps, that has been talked about, actually, over the last few weeks and heading into the final race of the year, too, and a surprise for me is Maverick Vinales, that he could potentially be poached from Ducati to Yamaha. He's off contract, of course, as well at the end of next year. So if he doesn't feel like Yamaha is the place to take him forward or to win him a championship, maybe he gets lured to Bologna, to Italy, to ride for Ducati. You know, that would be something too, because this year, Yamaha, their bike woes continued, but Vinales was the one who kind of led the revival. He was able to take two wins. He finished third in the standings as well, uh, winning in... Uh, Assen in the Netherlands and of course the Malaysian Grand Prix as well which was a pretty strong win so you know Yamaha might not want to afford Yamaha might not be able to afford to let someone like Vinales go but if Vinales feels that yeah he's got a better future elsewhere of course and Ducati as we know are not short on change either you know after that big contract that they gave to Jorge Lorenzo which he you know 
left in the middle of as well, you could say. I think it was the three-year deal and he only saw out two of them. So they could really throw big money at someone like Vinales, who is a proven entity at this stage. Miller, you know, he hasn't been able to... He's had a great year this year on the Pramac bike. I think we need to see what else he can do, but I reckon he's pretty much there. So that's that. But it's a bit of a conundrum because if Vinales were to leave... Yamaha and of course Rossi as we kind of expect perhaps he might retire at the end of this next year you know it's his final year on his current contract will he sign another contract of course this year was pretty diabolical for him you know two podiums in the first three races of course that's where they came in Argentina and Texas but he's had no bike balance no speed all year you know, we've seen Fabio Quattararo as the revelation this year aboard a satellite spec Yamaha and of course Vinales on the factory Yamaha has been doing a good job so you know where does that leave Rossi if they do turn around their fortunes next year and start winning races again then you could probably see Rossi doing another year beyond 2020 but other than that if you know Rossi goes then Yamaha really have to hang on to Vinales but if he leaves you could totally see Quattararo taking one of those seats in the factory Yamaha and then who else, you know, Johan Zarco, he has, you know, he rode for Tech 3 Yamaha, of course, when he made his MotoGP debut, Franco Morbidelli had a decent season as well, um, on, as the teammate of Quattararo, but I guess overshadowed, and what was great about Morbidelli this year was that he was a regular top five contender, so he quietly got the job done, but again, just a bit overshadowed by Quattararo, who just, I think he's in that Marquez level of sensation, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what Fabio does next year, because he'll be aboard. So this year, he was on a year-old spec Yamaha bike, so next year, he'll have the updated, you know, current spec Yamaha, so he'll have the 2020 bike so be interesting to see what he does with that you know this year he had seven podiums six pole positions just perilously close to winning a race you know he just was so close on so many occasions ended up getting mugged by Marquez in the final lap or the final corner something like that so yeah he's been really entertaining to watch all year and really just excited to see what he does next year then and um, future of Yamaha definitely I think if Rossi goes or whatever happens uh, with Vinales, you'll be guaranteed to see Quattararo on board one of the factory Yamahas in the future. Still on the subject of factories and factory bikes, I mean, Suzuki this year had a good year, you could say. You know, they won two races, of course, and uh, Alex Rins winning his first race in Texas, and then uh, beating Mark Marquez at Silverstone as well, mugging him on the final lap. It's it's a common term this year in MotoGP, the word mug. So, you know, he got properly mugged on the final lap, did Mark Marquez, and great wins for Suzuki and for Rins. And his um, rookie teammate, Juan Mir, obviously missing a couple of races through injury, Austria and Silverstone, he had a pretty okay year as well, you could say, but, you know, he only spent one year in Moto2 and came straight to MotoGP, you'd think that he would kind of mature, he will kind of mature as the, through next year as well, same with Peko Bagnaia as well, he was decent on the year-old Ducati bike, but, you know, nowhere near Jack Miller, but next year he'll have updated spec machinery, so... Whether he troubles his teammate Jack Miller will be interesting to see and whether he'll be considered for a factory Ducati berth in the future as well. So some good rookies, you could say. You know, Mir, Bagnaya, 
obviously Quattararo, more Modelli as well. So they've all had pretty good seasons. And then on the KTMs, Miguel Oliveira as well, he had a pretty decent year too. And of course, we heard that he was a bit miffed that um, he didn't get the factory call up for next year. And that goes to Brad Binder, of course, graduating from Moto2, who is the reigning Moto2 world champion, will go through to MotoGP and Oliveira will stay on the Tech 3 by stay on the Tech 3 bike and he'll be teammates with Ike Lekuona, of course, who deputised for him in the last couple of races. Now, I know I talked about Honda and their season at the top of the piece, but you forget that they had a second rider this year as well, and their second rider, of course, was none other than Jorge Lorenzo, three-time MotoGP champion, five-time champion all over. God, it was a year of woes for him. You know, it just kind of felt sorry for him at times just watching him not even inside the top 15 you know when you look at the 458 points that Repsol Honda scored 420 were from Marc Marquez um, 28 points is all that Jorge Lorenzo was able to contribute to that because there are three races that um, he was out injured of course and Stefan Bradl came in and scored 10 points so 28 points for Lorenzo it was a disaster you know we heard it was well documented last year where he sensationally quit Ducati decided to sign for Repsol Honda and then after he quit for Ducati he ended up winning three races on the Ducati it just all clicked and then this year he just found how difficult the Honda was to ride you know it's you know Marquez makes it looks easy looks makes it look easy at the best of times but you know even Marquez struggles from time to time on that bike as we've seen throughout the year with his crashes and whatnot but for someone like Lorenzo to struggle on it, it's it's a big deal, and you know, so much so that he was left with no choice at the end of this year to announce his retirement, which is a bit sad, of course, uh, seeing a name like Lorenzo go. I mean, last year we saw Pedrosa retire, obviously, sadly, without a MotoGP championship to his impressive career. Lorenzo goes out with three championships, of course, you know, with Yamaha and with Honda, there's nothing really to remember for Lorenzo, you know, just barely finishing in the top 15 in a couple of races, scoring some points, that's pretty much it, you know, and I guess, where else would he have gone after this year, you know, he didn't want to continue with Honda, there was no other factory rides available, and also the toll that his injury took on him as well, you know, I guess that's where, in that press conference, where he, the sensational press conference that he, he labelled so, on social media, the sensational press conference or whatever, he kind of alluded to that the injury, when he was late, when he had the layoff injury, that's when he made up his mind that, you know, this would be it for him. So kind of sad there for, for that, you know, and it didn't really work out with him and Honda. It was kind of the dream team we were thinking about this year, you know, Lorenzo and Zar, sorry, Lorenzo and Marquez, how would the two alphas go together on the same bike? You know, would there be tension? Would there be fireworks? But, you know, really, there was not much trouble. Um, there was not much trouble from Lorenzo's side of the garage. We'll probably have that next year anyway between the two Marquez brothers. But yeah, it wasn't just Lorenzo who had a bad year at his new team. Johan Sarko as well. It it went that far that he had to quit midway through the season, you know. And I remember when I uh, talked about it on the podcast at the time that 
Zarko was literally in tears in front of KTM. It, you know that was that was what was reported that he was in tears, just begging them to to let him go, and he did let get let go. Of course, you know midway through the contract or midway through the first year of his contract, of course, and very disappointing there because you know Zarko obviously had a lot of big raps on him, of course, when he made his debut on the Tech Three Yamaha, and then just yeah another rider who was unable to adapt to this you know strange bike you know similar to Lorenzo on the the Honda and you know Paul Espargaro is doing a it just goes to show you how much of a great job Paul Espargaro is doing on the KTM at the moment he really is guiding their you know their development and everything and same thing with his brother Alicia Espargaro on the Aprilia I guess uh, Alicia had a few words to say about Zarco's character for, for quitting KTM as a result of just struggling with the bike but you know each to their own I guess you know Zarco he is a talent and I'm sure he will be missed next year but it's not confirmed yet whether he will drop back to Moto2 or not there's also you know a chance he may end up on the Eventia Ducati um, replacing Carol Abraham who has been left without a ride for next year so that's the only available seat now in MotoGP for next year and could be a possibility that Zarco takes it or he ends up at Mark VDS next year which is the best Moto2 team to take the seat that Alex Marquez would have taken and it was good to see also that Zarco got to come back towards the end of the year deputising for Takaga Nakagami who was injured um, for the rest of the season and was able to do those three races on the Honda. So sadly for Zarco, he couldn't end up with a Honda gig, but I guess keeping him race fit was quite important. So yeah, you know, another great year of MotoGP. You know, you forget that Marquez now a six-time world champion, you know, going into next year, like Lewis Hamilton, he'll be gunning for a seventh. You know, seven is what... Michael Schumacher achieved in F1 and is still the greatest tally of a champion in F1. And then in MotoGP, just looking at the Premier class on its own, uh, Marc Marquez now has the possibility to claim seven championships there. You know, he's, what, 2013, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, you know, six titles in... uh, (laughs) six titles in the premier class and also you know two others in the minors so yeah he could equal Rossi's figures next year you know and that's something we didn't think when we saw Mark Marquez debut we didn't think that he would reach these totals so quick but since since the get-go since 2013 he's just been absolutely just something else and you know we've seen these guys we've seen Lorenzo Pedrosa Rossi all of them, Davizioso, unable to do anything. So, what's going to happen next year? Are we going to see Quattararo step up to the plate? Are we going to see Vignala step up to the plate? That's certainly the hope. What will the Ducatis be able to do as well? That's the big question, you know. I mean, if there is a bit of a fracture already between Davizioso and Ducati, then we might not really see them feature in the championship next year, which will be a shame, unless Jack Miller, perhaps, you know, on the satellite Ducati, ends up being a championship contender. That would be something as well to see. So, a big year next year, 2020, in MotoGP. Big riders are all off contract. Who's going to fight Mark Marquez? 
will it be the year that Rossi retires? That's another thing too that you've got to consider. And, you know, it's so sad that, you know, Rossi is, you know, still the GOAT, the greatest of all time. But with the struggles this year on board the Yamaha, you know, it doesn't really seem that way. And I think, you know, perhaps doesn't get talked about in the same way he always used to. But, you know, it would just be nice to see him go out on a high, you know, and uh, get a good... Good, good result, you know, get some wins, whatever it is, to be able to see off what has been a great career, and, you know, as much as Marquez, you know, he's going to beat his record eventually and everything, there's not going to be another rider like Rossi, each to their own, same with Marquez when he moves on, and I say that about Lewis Hamilton too in F1, you know, I said it a couple of weeks ago when he wrapped up the championship that, you know what, I don't feel like most people are going to really appreciate Hamilton's achievements until he retires or moves on from the sport, but, you know, it's something to think about, you know, this day and age, and that's all I can say really in reflection about MotoGP. The F1 stuff I'll get to in a couple of weeks' time, let me gather and compose my thoughts and everything in regards to that, but yeah, with MotoGP, you know, Marquez is just it's a once he's a once in a generation thing and you know what if Alex Marquez does well as well then you got to say it runs in the family <laughs> wait till those guys have kids and see how they go you know the Marquez name will own all the records in in MotoGP and in Grand Prix motorcycle racing but you know we'll see what happens and yeah I'm really looking forward to next year already for MotoGP talking about it now I probably want to go watch some of the races this year and um <laughs> watch some highlights and stuff like that but yeah anyway guys thank you for tuning in this week and also this year as well i know we're not done yet for this year i've got to do one special for supercars talking about 2019 in supercars land and of course the formula one review as well so there'll be two separate specials hopefully up um, in a couple of weeks it'll all be done before christmas and all that anyway so don't stress um I'm looking forward to taking a bit of break as well, having a bit of a holiday from, you know, the podcasting and writing as much as I enjoy it and everything too, but, um, you know, while there's no racing on, take a bit of a break from it, maybe watch a bit of a cricket, you know, I guess I'm not really too interested in it this year to warrant doing podcasting or writing about that, so it might give it a miss, but, you know, keep myself busy with a bit of super coach and some summertime barbecues hey that'll be great but yeah until i get back with those uh reviews thanks for joining us thanks for tuning in um be sure to look us up on twitter at hit the apex media and we are available on itunes and spotify so thanks for tuning in and i'll see you guys soon